Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Looking for a cost-effective way to drive practice growth? PatientPoint's innovative patient engagement platform lets you share custom messages and education about the medical and cosmetic services you provide. The best part? The in-office programs are no cost to your practice. To learn how you can get this platform, visit engage.patientpoint.com AAD. That's engage.patientpoint.com AAD. Hello. This is Dr. Vesna Petronik-Rosich for Dialogues in Dermatology. Today, we will be interviewing Dr. Madison Grinnell, a rising dermatology resident at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Grinnell. The topic of our discussion is your JAD article, Antihistamine Safety in Older Adult Dermatologic Patients. This is a topic that was always very interesting to me. How did you get interested in it? Yeah, well, I was actually at a Women's Derm Society meeting where I was connected with Dr. Butler at UCSF, who actually has a special interest in geriatric dermatology. Dr. Price, another student I met at the conference, Dr. Shaw, a geriatrician at Mayo Clinic, Dr. Butler and I met to brainstorm topics related to the care of older adults in dermatology that we thought could be helpful for clinical practice with this population. And this is something that we thought we were seeing clinically where we thought we could maybe make a difference. Excellent. So what is important for dermatologists to know about using antihistamines in the elderly? So prescribing antihistamines for conditions that aren't histamine mediated is not only inefficacious, but can actually be dangerous with sedating and other harmful effects in this population. That is very good to know because I don't think that we necessarily always think about the pathophysiology of the disease when we're prescribing antihistamines. So thank you for reminding us of that. Could you also remind us of the differences between various categories of antihistamines, please? Absolutely. So antihistamine medications are categorized into first and second generation agents. So first generation agents are lipophilic and easily cross the blood brain barrier where they can then interact with different receptors and can cause various side effects. Second generation medications were developed in an effort to try to avoid some of these effects, but they can still do a lot of the same things, especially when they're used in higher doses. And then first generations also have adverse effects related to drug interactions and metabolism by liver enzymes. Most first generation antihistamines actually inhibit cytochrome P450, which can then increase the serum levels of a lot of different other medications like beta blockers, antidepressants, or even tramadol, for example. Thank you. Now, we often use high doses and combine two or more antihistamines. How should we dose them? And are there any age-related renal or other dosing adjustments that are needed? Yeah. So fexofenadine is our preferred agent. It has a short half-life and because of that does usually require twice daily dosing at 60 milligrams for optimal effectiveness. In cases of renal impairment, we would reduce that dosing to no more than 60 milligrams daily. We generally don't recommend doubling up on antihistamines or using very high doses in older adults. And then it's not our first recommendation for older patients, but for cetirizine, we'd recommend 10 milligrams daily or five milligrams twice a day. 
but no more than five milligrams daily in patients with hepatic or renal insufficiency. And then just another consideration, patients with high blood pressure should be advised to avoid the daytime preparations of these drugs because they can sometimes include decongestants like pseudoephedrine, which can affect their blood pressure. That's an excellent point. I've actually had patients over the years tell me that they tried using antihistamines and they actually made them worse for whatever reason. And when we dug in a little bit, it turned out that it was the preparations that had also the addition of decongestants, which gave them other symptoms. So it's always really important to ask. Now, if we need to prescribe an antihistamine, the patient has a histamine-mediated pruritic dermatosis. What comorbidities should we screen for? And are there any conditions where we just should not prescribe an antihistamine at all? So we recommend at minimum asking about any history of glaucoma, prostate hyperplasia, trouble with memory or balance. All of these are relative contraindications, but I would avoid antihistamines in cases of acute angle glaucoma, of course, and then anyone with a high fall risk. You did mention that there is inhibition of some liver enzymes by the H1 antihistamines. Um, what drug interactions should we be looking for? And uh, I assume they're different for different categories of antihistamines. Yeah, so in general, we recommend asking about patients taking any other antihistamines, tricyclic antidepressants are one that come up a lot, uh, narcotics, benzodiazepines, cholinesterase inhibitors for dementia or medications for overactive bladder. Yeah, that's just, I think, important to keep in mind because they can have some kind of unintended effects on metabolism and could end up increasing the concentrations of these other medications. Very good. And I think in your article, there are a couple of nice tables that list additional questions to ask as well as drug interactions. So if one can't remember, it's an easy place to look for it. Are there any things that interact with antihistamines besides medications? Yes. So we don't always think about our older patients drinking alcohol in high quantities, but that's something that we want to actually screen for because high levels of alcohol use with antihistamines can worsen CNS depression, confusion, and can lead to decreased motor coordination and falls. There was actually data from a national survey on drug use and health that found that over one in 10 adults over 65 actually reported binge drinking. Oh, wow. Okay. That is definitely something that I will start routinely asking about. <laughs> now, what about dementia and Alzheimer's patients? This is definitely something that's important to screen for in patients with histaminergic itch, where we are wanting to prescribe antihistamines. We need to be careful as antihistamines could worsen these symptoms, especially the first generation agents. And in general, we talk about the elderly. Is there an age cutoff that you use for this, or is it more like a sliding scale? I think it's more a sliding scale and would depend on that specific patient and their other comorbidities and health status and kind of functional status. So a lot of different things to keep in account. I always think of it as kind of like if they're 70 or older, then I really think hard before prescribing it. But of course, if somebody is younger than that, but has other comorbidities, the same would apply. Are second generation antihistamines better? Is there one that carries the least risk in this age group? 
Second generation antihistamines were developed in an effort to try to avoid many of the negative side effects that were associated with the first generation agents. But unfortunately, they can still cause many of the same adverse effects. And then, like we said before, especially when they're used in high doses, along with uh, fexofenadine, elastine is another second generation antihistamine that's been recommended by physicians that treat urticaria, both for its effectiveness and then its uh, favorable adverse effect profile, but unfortunately it's not yet um, available in the United States. Hopefully soon. Now, a lot of our elderly patients have pruritus that's due to cirrhosis. Do you have any tips for managing this? Yes, absolutely. So hydrating emollients should be used at least twice daily and should be the first line therapy. We think for pruritus and cirrhosis to try to optimize the function of the skin barrier and then we also recommend short showers, less than three minutes with lukewarm water. And then humidifiers can also help reduce the skin drying and can help also then reduce itch. On the other hand, for some patients with functional limitations, bathing frequency can tend to decline. And that should be noted can be an exacerbating factor for things like atopic dermatitis because sweat can cause irritation. Um, and then also we've noticed kind of in our practice, aging patients um, sometimes are accustomed to using drying soap brands. So we recommend giving them specific recommendations for gentle products to use if they think they just can't avoid using soap. And then finally, another tip is to recommend keeping um, fingernails trimmed short, which can help a lot with nighttime scratching when patients don't even realize maybe that they're itching. So those are some of our, our kind of basic tips we'd suggest. Thank you for that. Are there any special considerations related to this topic that might apply to patients with skin of color? Yeah, so some special considerations for older adult patients with skin of color seeking treatment for pruritus, I think are going to include difficulty in getting accurate diagnoses and targeted therapies, and then a lack of exposure, unfortunately, to skin of color in many um, residency training programs. And I've also learned in the past that in general, darker skin tends to be more dry. So making sure that they use all those precautions and emollients and gentle skin care is even more so important. Would you be able to describe any health disparities related to this topic? Yes, I think a lack of sufficient access to dermatologists is going to be a big factor because I think it's really the dermatologists that are usually going to be the ones that are doing the more thorough workup and determining the specific etiology of itch, which I think is what would reduce the use of antihistamines for many older adults with non-histaminergic itch. Very good. And is there relevance of this topic to medically underserved and underrepresented populations of either patients, trainees, or dermatology care providers? Yeah. So from what I've heard, I don't think we get enough specific training in dermatology in most programs regarding the care of older adult patients in particular, and some of the hazards in prescribing common dermatologic medications. I think this is an area that could be expanded upon possibly in the future and may help increase access to more targeted care for our older patients. I agree with you completely. I think geriatric dermatology is not as much practiced as one would hope, and we can definitely strive to improve on that. Dr. Grinnell, what do you hope dermatologists will take away from this article for their practice? We just like to provide a reminder that not every drug we consider is innocuous, is innocuous in every patient population. 
Antihistamines can have adverse effects, can contribute to polypharmacy, worsen comorbidities, and really lack actually convincing evidence of benefit for treating non-urticaria-related itch. So etiology really needs to be determined through a complete evaluation to address the cause of pruritus with the then appropriate directed treatment. We should really be considering systemic illness, psychological contribution, neuronal changes, polypharmacy, all of these things when we're working up an older patient suffering from pruritus. Thank you. Any last thoughts to leave with our listeners? Yeah, so we just really like to highlight the importance of really kind of digging deep and getting down to that specific etiology of pruritus for our older patients to direct targeted therapies. And in our experience for many older patients, cirrhosis is probably going to be at the heart of it. I agree. And just as a reminder, some of the most commonly used first-generation agents include diphenhydramine and hydroxyzine. And then for the second-generation medications, fexofenadine is commonly used, loratadine, and cetirizine. And most of these are available over-the-counter for patients. Well, this was a fantastic topic, and I think we all learned a lot and certainly will help us practice in a safer way with our more elderly patients. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Looking for a cost-effective way to drive practice growth? PatientPoint's innovative patient engagement platform lets you share custom messages and education about the medical and cosmetic services you provide. The best part? The in-office programs are no cost to your practice. To learn how you can get this platform, visit engage.patientpoint.com AAD. That's engage.patientpoint.com AAD. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.